Training with the Twelve is our topic for Sunday evenings, and most of you have been here for most of that, so I don't need to explain it. Yeah, I got them dismissed before you checked on me, Ron. I'm way ahead of you. Anyhow, our concept on Sunday nights is to see how Jesus trained the Twelve. Uh, we've spent first few weeks talking about the Twelve and getting to know them. Hopefully we kind of got impression of what those guys were like. And now we're turning to the actual uh, situations they got into. And for the next oh, probably five, six weeks, I imagine, we're going to be talking about religious liberty. We're grouping a number of things they ran into with Jesus. That fits this topic. Uh, they had a lot of run-ins with the religious leaders. Jesus, as he traveled around with the twelve, uh, doing different things and healing people and normal day-to-day activities, the religious leaders kind of followed him around and kept their eye on him. They were interested in him and uh, who he was and what he was doing. And uh, occasionally they took issue with what he did. And so these next five, six lessons are about where there was a religious act involved. The the Sabbath we're going to start with, uh, then fasting, uh, then ceremonial washing. Uh, Those things, the religious leaders watched them and said, hold it, you're not doing that right. They watched them eat dinner, and they didn't wash before that. Didn't do the, all the hand stuff that the Pharisees thought they ought to, and so they jumped on them. And we'll talk about that. Uh, fasting, they didn't fast, and that got the leaders upset. And the Sabbath, they had some troubles with the Sabbath too. So uh, all of those are our main topics, and we'll work on them in the, the weeks ahead. Tonight we start the Sabbath, and tonight we're going to do mostly history, just so we understand uh, the Sabbath. But all of these run-ins that Jesus had with the uh, the leaders, they had one thing in common. Well, they had there were a number of different things. Like they they didn't like it when he said he was God. That kind of spun them into the ceiling. But uh, and a lot of other things. But the one we're talking about in this group is Jesus didn't seem concerned about what they were concerned about. Uh, all of the rules and minute details that they knew had to be done in religious acts to please God, Jesus didn't seem to care about. Uh, He just kind of blew right past them. And when they would jump on him about them and say, well, why don't you and your followers do this or that? Uh, you're You're not doing what you're supposed to. He would always go back to the, the highest principle. He'd go back to the high principle about what the act was really about and basically tell them that's all that matters. If I'm not violating that, then all of your rules and regulations aren't that big a deal. Okay, now, he didn't say that in so many words, but... Where we're going to try to look at this from is from the twelve as they went with him. When all of a sudden here came three Pharisees or whatever and jumped in the middle of them 
and they stood there and watched Jesus deal with all this, what were they learning about religious liberty? So that's where we're headed here. Uh, and like I said, we're going to talk about keeping the Sabbath, fasting, and washing ceremonially. Um, all right. Put one uh, quote on here from Training the Twelve book by Alexander Bruce, and I think it kind of emphasizes some more about what we're going to learn in this. He said, Nonconformity invariably gives offense to many and exposes the offending party to interrogation at least and often to something more serious. Custom is a god to the multitude. And no one can withhold homage from the idol with impunity. Okay, So in the part of his book where he was writing about this, Bruce said uh, that was the problem. The Pharisees, the, the religious leaders, the Jewish community knew how you were supposed to do Sabbath. They knew how you were supposed to fast and how you were supposed to wash and all of that. And Jesus didn't do it that way. And it not only got him interrogated, it got him killed. Uh, and that's one thing when, next week when we get to the specific events where he got questioned about the Sabbath. In almost every one of them, we'll see how mad they got at him. Uh, this made them hot that he didn't do it their way. Okay? Now, bear in mind in all this, Jesus didn't ever break the Sabbath okay? because he was sinless. So he didn't sin. He lived under the Old Testament. If he would have violated the Sabbath anyway, that would have been a sin, and he didn't. So it's not about sinning. It's just about not following the man-made customs that the crowd was used to. Okay, before we can see the... Uh, events themselves and see what Jesus said and what the leaders said and all that, uh, we got to understand the Sabbath a little bit. In fact, we got to understand it probably more than you'll want to. A little bit of history here. Uh, first, the principle of the Sabbath. We're not used to the Sabbath very much. We just say, now the Sabbath has gone away and we're done worrying about it. Well, we probably ought to worry about it a little more than that, but let's think through it here. The principle, and this is in Jesus' day, and you can apply it to today if you want. Uh, in the very beginning, God set the seventh day apart as a sacred day. Okay, read Genesis 2, 2 and 3. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. It means set apart. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. That is absolutely all we know about that. I can't tell you what that means. I can't tell you what anybody did about it. There was no observance uh, mandated or even mentioned. We don't know if Adam did anything about that or what. It just tells us that when God rested on the seventh day, he made it sacred. And it was sacred because he rested on it. That's all we know. Now, 
Later, a special observance for the seventh day was instituted, and that was in the Ten Commandments, and Exodus 20 has that one. And this commandment is different than all the other commandments. All the other commandments are four or five words. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet. Okay? Honor the father and the mother. It's got a little more on it than that. This one's I forget, I counted once, hundred some words. It's a quite a lengthy passage for just a commandment. Anyhow, here's what it says, Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay. Remember the Sabbath day. God made it holy. And here's the observance. Here's the first time we know anything about an observance. Don't work. Don't work on this holy day. Don't work on this sacred day. This day is set apart. you got six days to do your work. Don't work on this one. Okay? That's it. That's the law. That's the observance. Now, I didn't put them down. There's a couple of other verses where Moses said, if you do break the Sabbath, you're supposed to be put to death. So it was you know, right up there, pretty serious law. Now, that's when it was instituted. It was rescinded, if I can use that word, at Calvary. Paul explained that in Colossians 2. In fact, a whole lot of the New Testament is about that, about people that came from the Jewish background wanting to keep the Sabbath and thinking they had to keep the Sabbath and all of that. And Paul wrote in Colossians 2, 14, and then verse 16, he explains how Jesus canceled out the written law, the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And then in verse 16, he said, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. And that's what Colossians was about. The people didn't know if they had to keep the old law or not. And Paul said, no, it got nailed to the cross. You don't have to keep it. Don't let people judge you about it. You don't want to keep the Sabbath. Don't let people judge you. And conversely, if you do want to keep the Sabbath, don't let people judge you, I think. I think most of the Jewish Christians kept the Sabbath. And Paul didn't say a thing about it. But when they tried to mandate it on to the Gentiles, that's when Paul said something. In fact, we don't usually use it as a, a proof, but the absolute best proof that we're not under the Sabbath is in the Acts chapter 15, the council at Jerusalem. That's what it was all about. What do new Christians have to do? We've come out of this old Jewish religion 
And we have this new group called The Way that follow this Nazarene called Jesus. And what do they got to do to be followers of Jesus? Do they have to know all this old stuff too? Do they have to follow it and keep the Sabbath and be circumcised? The things that we had to do growing up? Because we're God's people. And it was such a big mess that they called a council of the apostles and everybody in Jerusalem. And when the council was done, they said, here's what new Christians have to do from the old days. And almost nothing. And certainly not the Sabbath was not mentioned. They didn't have to keep the Sabbath. Okay. Now, Sabbath, I should have put this up a little higher. Sabbath itself just means cease or pause, or rest. It actually means, the best word is cease. It just means stop. That makes more sense to us, because, you know, if you're thinking about God, who's infinitely powerful and all that, and you tell your kids, well, he had to rest on the seventh day, because he was, got done with everything, why would God have to rest? Was he tired? Well, it means rest in one sense, but what it really means, cease is God stopped on the seventh day. He quit working. He did all his work in six days, and then he ceased. All right, so that's, I could probably find another verse or two that said a little something about the Sabbath, but in Jesus' day, uh, this is pretty much what we were operating with. In fact, we didn't have the rescinded part yet. We just had God making it holy at the beginning, Moses instituting an observance of it, and the observance was don't work. All right. Now, pretend you're fine Jewish folks, and you're told that for the first time as you're growing up. Have you got any questions about what you can do on the Sabbath? God made it holy. Moses said, don't work on it. Go thou and do likewise. Have you got any questions? Uh, It'll take not very long before somebody starts asking questions. Well, what's work? Does that mean I can't go into the office or I can't check my email at home? I mean, think of all the questions we would dream up today. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what they did. That's exactly how it worked. I mean, Moses was pretty clear about it. He said, don't work. Take the day off. Well, what am I supposed to do? We got some workaholics that just go fritzoid. What do you mean I can't work? That's the kind of problem. So the the principle is pretty easy. God made a day holy, special, set apart, sacred, and Moses told the Jews not to work on it. And so Jesus comes along with his 12, and he's operating and doing things on the Sabbath, and the religious leaders are watching him, and now we got problems. Well, here's why we got problems. is because the practice of what the Sabbath had become. Obviously, 
people ask questions. What does work mean? How, how much work does that mean? If I'm a farmer and I get the fields almost all harvested on Friday, but man, there's just one little corner over there. It's only going to take me an hour and a half. Can I do that on Saturday morning? Now that's the kind of questions they're going to ask. Okay. So what the Jewish leaders and teachers and everybody did about it, here's where things get real interesting. And uh, let me give you, like I said, a little more history than you probably want, but I think it's kind of necessary. Uh, first, what I put down is a quote that I took out of uh, a website, the Jewish Virtual Library, and it explains something about the oral law, which I think we need to know. The oral law is a legal commentary on the Torah. Okay, now the Torah is the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay. That's what the Jews treated as the law. Those were the books of the law. And then, there you, then you had the prophets and you had the uh, uh, poetry and all that. But the law, the law was in the Torah, the first five books. Okay. So they say, then they had an oral law. We'll talk about what that's called later. But this dictionary here or this uh, website that explains Judaism says the oral law is a legal commentary on the Torah explaining how its commandments are to be carried out. Common sense suggests that some sort of oral tradition was always needed to accompany the written law because the Torah alone, even with its 613 commandments, is an insufficient guide to Jewish life. For example, the fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. From the Sabbath's inclusion in the Ten Commandments, it's clear that it's an important day. But if you look for specific biblical laws regulating how to observe this day, one finds only, and this is the only thing in the Old Testament that Moses or the prophets or anybody ever said about the Sabbath day, it says you can't light a fire. It says don't go away from one's dwelling. Don't cut down a tree. Don't plow and don't harvest. Whole Old Testament. That's the only thing it says about how do you keep this rule of not working. Okay. So this explanation says... Uh, would merely refraining from those few activities fulfill the biblical command to make the Sabbath holy? Well, no, we need a lot more. So that's why we need the oral law. Okay. The oral law, and let me preface this by saying I am absolutely not an expert in Judaism or the current practices or the practices back then or everything. I've never spent except minute bits of time studying it. So if you are a Torah and a Talmud and a Mishnah expert, don't blame me if I'm a little bit off here. I don't know that much. I can read a few websites and a few books and learn enough to explain it to myself, but I'm not uh, proficient in this by any means. But I believe what I'm telling you is true. It's just very shallow learning. Uh the Torah is the five books written by Moses, with God's help, of course. The oral law 
is called the Talmud, T-A-L-M-U-D, and the Jews believe that the oral law was given by God to Moses. Okay? During the wanderings, during all that, God was giving Moses the oral law. He was telling him, now, Moses boy, we wrote on the stones, remember the Sabbath day. Now, here's what that means. Here's what work means. Here's what you can't do. Here's what you can do. And he listed all this stuff, all the other laws he explained in detail. That's the oral law, the Talmud. Now, it was strictly oral. It was passed down from Moses on down to Joshua, I presume, and on down. And rabbi after rabbi after rabbi kept repeating it. And they knew the oral law. Now, let's just stop there for a second. How much fun do you think it would be to figure out, as a common citizen, what you could do on the Sabbath and what you couldn't? If all of it's in some rabbi's head somewhere. Okay? That's where it was. Okay? It was strictly oral. In about 200 B.C., I mean 200 A.D., after the destruction of the Second Temple, somebody said, we better write this down. Okay? And so they wrote it down. And that's called the Mishnah. It's the written oral law. Okay? So we get the Torah, the first five books. The Talmud is the oral law that explains the Torah. And then the Mishnah is the written down oral law. Okay? And that was written down about 200 A.D. And then after that, rabbis started writing their commentary about it since it was in writing now. The, the commentary by all the rabbis about what the Talmud says is called the Gemara, G-E-M-A-R-A-H, G-E-M-A-R-A-H. That's the rabbis' comments about the Talmud, which is the oral law about the Torah. Now, if you take the Torah, which is just... You know, about that many pages, it isn't very much. You take it and the Talmud and the Gemara together, it's 6,200 pages. 6,200 pages. Okay. All the oral law in the Mishnah and then all the commentaries about it. Okay. Now, what I put down next on your handout there is how the rabbis, or how the oral tradition got written down that Moses supposedly told Joshua and on down after God had told him. What does it mean not to work on the Sabbath? Okay. In the Mishnah, under the section about Sabbath, it says there are 39 forbidden acts. There's 39 things you can't do on the Sabbath. And where those come from 
is, well, if you believe the, the Jewish teaching, they came from God. Okay? I tend to think some rabbi kind of dreamed them up along the way, but you can have it either way you want. But the reasoning behind it is God said that you couldn't move the tabernacle on the Sabbath. You got to stop if you're in the middle of moving the tabernacle. You, you got to stop on the Sabbath. And so what they wrote down was anything that might have to do with moving the tabernacle. And that's where the 39 things came from. They're grouped, and I didn't have room to put the groupings on there, but the first 10 or 12 or so, first couple of lines there, are anything that it might take to make the showbread. Okay? The bread was part of the tabernacle, so you couldn't sow or plow or reap or bind sheaves or thresh or winnow or select or grind or sift or knead or bake. Can't do any of those things because that might have something to do with making the showbread. The second batch is about anything that it might take to make the priest garments or the... Uh, the, the, the hangings, the claws, and all of that in the tabernacle. And that's shearing a sheep, washing wool, beating wool, dyeing wool, spinning, weaving, making two loops, weaving two threads, separating two threads, tying, untying, sewing two stitches, tearing. Any of that might have to do with making new clothes or the, the, the hangings and all that. Can't do that. That's work. I mean, this is their reasoning. Okay. Then there's a section about anything that it might take to write. That's the trapping and slaughtering and uh, skinning and making the animal hides so you could write on them. Writing two letters, erasing two letters. Then the others are about building and tearing down the, the building, uh, putting out a fire, starting a fire, uh, carrying something to the site uh, from, your, from your house, all of that. Okay, that's their reasoning. If God said you can't move the tabernacle on the Sabbath, anything connected to that we can call work, and we can think of 39 things that are different kinds of work. Okay, good start. <laughs> or... <laughs> the wrong direction, whichever one you think. But let's call it a good start. Now, those are the 39 forbidden topics, the big topics. Below that, the Mishnah has got a whole bunch of subheadings that explain those in further detail. Okay. Now, let's get real fun here. They were so serious about this. We've got the Torah, the Talmud, the Mishnah, the Gemara. We've got all of this. Well, we don't have the Gemara yet. That came later. But we've got all of this. And the rabbis believed that it was so important not to break any laws of God that not only did you have to define them in detail like this so people knew exactly what it meant, then they also thought that what you needed to do was then once you had all that, then draw a fence out around that. 
okay, and I put a little quote down there, that the oral law, they saw it as a fence around the Torah. How do I know I'm not breaking the Sabbath law? Well, the Talmud tells you. The oral law gives you 39 things you're not supposed to do and describes them in detail and all that. But it's so important that we don't break a law that the Torah is like a garden and we don't want anybody to disturb the precious plants in there, even unintended. We don't want anybody to just accidentally step in the garden and smash the carrots. So let's build a fence around everything we already got. And that's what they did. That's what the Gemara was. That's why it's 6,200 pages. Because it goes on and on and on and says, well, you're not supposed to uh, tie or untie. That says that in the Mishnah. That's two of the 39 things you're not supposed to do. Well, we better make sure that everybody doesn't accidentally get too close and break that somehow. So that's what they sat around and thought about and wrote the Gemara and more and more rabbinical interpretations of what you couldn't do. Uh, One of the interpretations I read one time, you could not tie a ribbon on a chicken's leg on the Sabbath. Now, don't ask me why anybody would want to, but some rabbi thought of that. You know, that's what they sat around and thought of. Uh, what was that movie? I just remembered it. Barbara Streisand. Yentl. Anybody ever see Yentl? Okay, if not, go rent it sometime. It's about her posing as a boy wanting to grow up to be a rabbi, as I recall it. But it gives you such a picture of the rabbis sitting around in rabbi school and thinking about this stuff and arguing about it. That's what they did all day. That's how you get 6,200 pages of commentary. You know, a bunch of people sitting around and wondering about it. And that's what it's full of. Uh, anyhow, we could, we'll, we'll give a few examples next week maybe. Okay, that's the practice that Jesus walked into. That's the practice that Jesus and the twelve found themselves in when they went out starting to teach about the kingdom and all of that, and the religious leaders were watching over their shoulders to see what they did everywhere they went. Does anybody else sense a potential problem here? (laughs) There's going to be a problem. Because Jesus, he had a pretty good grasp on what the higher principle of the Sabbath was, I think. Since he was there when it was made holy. So he understood all this. Can you imagine how all this trivia drove him crazy? What people had done to his father's law? Well, we'll see some of the battles and uh, discussions Next week, but hopefully that gives you a little bit of a taste for the the Sabbath and the the condition things we're in. Uh, it's yeah, I mean it's really interesting study. Some of the stuff they came up with, and some of the stuff that they still do today uh, to avoid the the Sabbath problems. 
like the one law that says don't light a fire. Well, today, if you walk into a dark room in your house and flip a light switch, what are you doing? You're lighting a fire. Okay, you got to have a way to get around that. If you're a practicing Jew, you're going to keep the Sabbath. Okay, got to find a way to handle that. Okay, one way is to hire a Gentile to do it for you. They do that. <laughs> and there's other ways to get around it. And I mean, that's fun to talk about all that stuff, but uh, that's not germane to our point. Our point is that the Sabbath practice had become considerably more complicated than God intended it to be, I think, and Jesus walks in the middle of that. All right, the lesson is yours. If you need to respond in any way tonight, we'd be happy to help you here at the front. I'll be here. If you need anything, come. Let's stand and say.